We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Filato. And for those who don't know, but might some of you might know, we've been a two-man pod for the longest time. We don't have any help with producers. We don't have any camera work. It's just Nick and I. And today, we found a way to bring in a special guest producer for the show today. Uh, take a little bit of burden off of Nick, and that producer is with us today. So why don't you introduce him right now, Nick? Yeah, he's right here. As you can see, his austere nature is really just overbearing on us. He micromanages like crazy. And for those listening on the podcast and not seeing on the YouTube, it is my dog who is sleeping very awkwardly against the wall. That is the producer that Dan is referring to. It's just us duo right now. <laughs> I, love, I love how, yeah, he's a little, like Nick said, he is a little bit overbearing. He does like to micromanage us and get involved. You should have said this here. I'm going to cut that out. Why are you using so many ums? Why are you using so many pauses and ands? But you know what? It's all worth it when you see that little look on his face over there. And you don't get it now, but he's, he's kind of think he finally fell asleep in that position before he was just kind of just staring over at Nick in that weird, awkward position. You know what? I love Nick. How when it's just you two in the house, he, he does come in that room. Like he doesn't want to be outside. Like he, he needs to be with you at all times. It, it must he's, feel good. He is always with me. Usually yeah. he puts his paw like on my leg and he just won't leave my side. But right now he loves that space on the wall for whatever reason, <laughs> for whatever reason, because it doesn't look very comfortable to us. But <laughs> oh. today we're here to talk about a couple other practices from training camp. We're going to update you on some details from the uh, Andrew Thomas contract that came out. And I want to talk about a little report that I saw recently that didn't get that much traction, but was interesting. So we'll run through all of that, Nick. But I want to start with the report here and see what we think about that. One thing, though, Dan, yeah. tell the audience about the other the other podcast. Oh, yeah. Dropping. Those are separate conversations. Yeah. So we, we're doing things a little bit different. Or, or, originally, Nick and I uh, had this one idea back in the day when we were maybe uh, not 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 sober. And our, our idea was to start doing 10 minute podcasts and we would call them Big Blue Banter in 10. And, you know, the idea was not everybody has the time or the bandwidth to listen to a 60 minute, 90 minute podcast like some of us tend to be. So let's try to break it all down into 10 minutes. We started to drop a few on the feed called BBB in 10, but those are really just segments from the already recorded show. So now we're going to do things a little differently. We've recorded segments that aren't going to be on this show today. They're going to talk about players and topics that we might talk about on today, but we're not going to be, they're not the, they were recorded separately. So when you see in the feed and they won't even have BB in 10 on them, but when you see in the feed, these little segments, these 10 minute segments, just note that these are separate conversations and separate podcasts 
and separate ideas that aren't discussed on these shows as well. Let's get into some interesting stuff before we get into the practice. The first thing that I think kind of flew over the radar from people, but was really interesting to me was Mike Garofolo's recent hit on NFL Network. And why is it interesting to me? As I've mentioned in the past, when Mike Garofolo speaks about the Giants, I listen because Mike Garofolo was the best beat writer in the history of the Giants beat. No offense to the guys now. I think they are well aware of that too. He was the only one who was well connected in my opinion. Some guys now get occasional sources. Some I believe, some I don't. Some I think people are telling them things, but it's not actually true or it's misguided. Garofolo was just locked in and he remains locked in on the Giants beat. Whoever he has on the inside there is giving him good stuff because as he's reported on the Giants in recent weeks and months and the past few years, it's been spot on. The dude's track record is at 90% plus, if not. And so he did a hit on NFL Network, I think it was Friday or Saturday, that no one really talked about, but it was interesting because he talked about the Barkley deal. And what he said was the two things that stood out to me, he said, from what I know and from what I've heard, Joe Shane is not interested in allocating 10 million plus the running back position on his roster build. He also said Joe Shane would quote unquote, never draft a running back at number two overall. So Nick, what are your early thoughts on this as regards to Barkley's future? We've kind of tossed that back and forth. And I think it's important to note, Nick, both you and I were insanely against using the second overall pick at Barkley at the time. And yeah. I think that it's so interesting. That was 2018. We're now in 2023, five years later. How many people at the time, Nick, because I used to do a show, a live Facebook show at the time on 24-7 Sports Giants, were so un, you know, unapologetically angry at me being like, at me, you know, expressing this opinion. Because I expressed it in March. I expressed it in February. Every time Dave Gettleman would talk about how he was touched by the hand of God, I expressed how much I didn't want this the Giants to go in this direction. And at the time, I would say 70, 60 to 70% of the fan base couldn't understand it, right? And now we've gotten to a point where I feel like the numbers have flipped. I feel like a lot of the fan base can completely understand why you should never use the number two overall pick on a running back, no matter who that running back is. And so much has changed in the landscape from where the fans were at, because it took me a while to try to convince. And I convinced some people in my family, some people that you wouldn't expect to like, you know, I gave my whole logic behind it. And then they are like, you know what? I do kind of see it from that point of view of why you can't actually make that decision to use number two overall at a running back. But now I feel like that's a conversation has shifted so much and so many more fans are on board with it. I remember when Saquon Barkley was drafted, I was with a bunch of my friends and my brothers. I was pretty upset and they couldn't really wrap their heads around it. My brothers did, but my friends were like, what are you talking about? He's great. They didn't say that he was touched by the hand of God, but it was you know, <laughs> summarized by that. And we, we, we've rehashed this so many times, Dan, the, the, the whole drafting a running back at two overall thing. But I'll say this. One thing that I found interesting about the Garofolo report, didn't Joe Shane just offer Saquon Barkley? over $10 million. Right. Like that's a real report, right? Where we don't know the specifics of what was guaranteed or how long the contract was. I don't believe, but I think according to Paul Schwartz, it was three years around, I think like 12 or 13. I don't know exactly what, but it was more than 10 million. So how does that report coincide with the truth? Is it now that Joe Shane is like, I'm not doing that again. That was a mistake from the bye week that's past season. My interpretation of it, Nick, and you could correct me if you interpret it wrong, or you could just tell me how you interpret it is Garofolo was saying, and I listened to it, he was saying he doesn't want to be paying that on a long-term basis. So within okay. that offer that we've already discussed that Joe Shane made to Barkley, it was basically just a two-year contract. Yes, sure, it's tech, quote unquote, a three-year deal, but you just look at the guarantees and you know. And essentially, it's like him saying, well, we're going to tag him anyway for the next two years. I don't mind paying guarantees for two over two years. But I think more so it just gets into, will it happen over a long-term basis with Barkley and the Giants? And that's where I think things get a little trickier. 
yeah, that and this, I'm not going to draft the running back second overall. Like, there's no surprise on this podcast yeah. from that. Like, Joe Shane has suggested nothing other than those two things right. in terms of allocating resources, the way you just broke it down, and also with the second overall pick to the running back position. This isn't Dave Gettleman. This is Joe Shane. Yeah, and it's a different time, too. Like, the fans are starting to understand this. And for me, it was always the case, and I know you were just on board with this, Nick, back in 2018, where for us, it was it was almost difficult for me to understand how hard it was for people to comprehend how bad of a decision it would be to use number two at running back. And at the time, it was almost like, I'm, I think this is so obvious. It's frustrating for me to even talk about this and try to get on a level with the fans here because it's just like, it's so obvious to me this is a bad decision. Why would we do it? And at the time it was done by Gettleman, whatever. We don't need to rehash that. But now it's like when Shane, when I see a report like that from Graffle, like Garofolo, where he's like, you know, I don't know, I just call him that. Garofolo, where he's like, you know, Joe Shane would never do it. To me, I'm like, yeah, that's freaking obvious. And I think a lot a lot more fans now are, are understanding how obvious it is not to use that kind of draft capital at the running back position um, as the NFL has changed. But, you know, those are that's just kind of what I wanted to get at that. How much the running back position has depreciated since 2018. At that time, yeah. it kind of started to, but we saw Todd Gurley get a massive deal at around that time, right? We, we're still right. seeing running backs getting re-signed to these $15, $16 million deals. And ever since then, it seemed like every one of those teams was like, oh, crap, man. I kind of screwed up. Can you take a pay yeah. cut, Aaron Jones? Joe Mixon, can you take a pay cut? All right, Todd Gurley, we're going to release you. And you didn't even play a down on this contract. We'll eat the $20 million in dead cap. Talk about just a mess up by the Los Angeles Rams. But 2018 to now is so much different. I think that's another reason why a lot of people are on the bandwagon yeah. with people like us. Yeah. And that's a good thing for, in my mind, because as we move forward, we can start to realize things like, and we could, we get in my mind, get into the things that are worth debating, you know, Daniel Jones, whatever you wanted to make that rather than the things that in my mind are never really worth debating. Like, should you use the second overall pick on a running back? But we'll move past it for now. The Andrew Thomas contract details are out. Nick total value, 136.7 mil, 19.2 of that was already due. The extension is essentially five years, one, one seventeen, five, 62 fully guaranteed. What I thought was the interesting takeaway from this contract, Nick was just how flat the contract was really. I mean, we're talking about a deal that isn't front loaded, isn't back loaded. It is one of the most flat deals I've seen the Giants sign a long, uh, to uh, from a long-term standpoint in a long time. And so you get no pumped up salaries and APY. It's just simply a deal that I think works out really well for the Giants over time because he didn't really, you know, like it's he quote unquote reset the market. But if you look at this deal, it does seem pretty team friendly to me. Perusing through it at the moment. And I look at Andrew Thomas as if he is especially with his age, going to be one of the best left tackles in the league for the next decade. Sure. The Giants will have him under contract for the next decade, but for the foreseeable future, this guy is going to be a New York Giant, and this deal isn't backbreaking. And it seems like after Andrew Thomas signed it, I believe he he made a quote to the effect of, I just want to be here with the New York Giants, and I just want to get to work. I really just think they secured a, a cornerstone of their franchise. And this is one of these those hat tips. I mean, we criticize Dave Gettleman a lot on this podcast, rightfully so, but he did know how to acquire talent and drafting Andrew Thomas for overall. I mean, Tristan Wirfs is great. I get it. He's more of a right tackle than a left tackle, although I think he can play a left tackle. Dave Gettleman hit a grand slam taking Andrew Thomas at four overall. And we have to give him credit for that. I believe we have in the past on this podcast, but I just want to acknowledge that as well. I'm so glad that he signed this deal. And it's also not a deal that's just absolutely ridiculously going to hurt the Giants moving forward. And we'll see if like three years into the deal, 
the markets change and he and his him and his agent and he, get yes. on the Giants and, and want to restructure, re, want to re, you know redo the deal and get better money. That could happen at any point with any player, but as of as it stands right now, it's a really good deal for the Giants. And yes, Gettleman deserves credit for this and Dexter Lawrence for sure. It's also important to note how many top pet draft picks he had, right? Because I mean, it's a lot easier to hit at four overall than it is to hit at twenty seven overall or wherever you know you you would say. But definitely deserves credit for this because we got two cornerstones of the roster, Thomas and, and Lawrence, uh, from his draft. Thing. And obviously, we also have Gadarius Tony and, De- and and Will Hernandez and Deontay and De- and Sam Beal and Baker. So and, you know, and um, a lot of other and a lot of other really curious decisions sure. to use the euphemism. <laughs> yeah. So there's obviously the overarching thing that left us in the spot, but definitely a win here. All right, let's talk about some of the takeaways from the last two practices, Friday and Sunday. It was the last time we talked to you was before that. Friday's practice. One thing that I took away, Nick, was some of the things going on with the offensive line. We're starting to see, you know, this is something we probably should have predicted, Nick, just based on what Dable did last year with that rotation. But we're starting to see a bigger rotation. It's a bigger group. For example, Tyree Phillips starting, and this happened in Sunday's practice as well. We'll kind of mix and match some things. Sunday's practice, he was the starting left uh, left guard for it. And he mixed in even in Friday's practice with the first team, playing a tackle with the second team, a little bit of guard with the first team at both spots, a left guard and right guard during Friday. And then at Sunday practice, it was all left guard. What do you make of Tyree Phillips starting to work his way into the rotation? I like it. Yeah, competition. That's kind of the name of football in general. Brian Dable really just talks about it all the time when he's doing the press conferences and everything. And if I'm not mistaken, Tyree Phillips has some snaps under his belt at, I think it's left guard. Yeah. If you go back to the 2021 season, he played left guard, 42 snaps. And if you go back to the 2020 season, he had 296 snaps at right guard. And that's not to mention he's played left tackle and right tackle. So the only position Tyree Phillips hasn't played is center. We haven't really brought that up much on the podcast. Like I said this with Cy, I think he's the best swing tackle that we've had here in New York since at least I've covered the football team. But if you're going to start entertaining him at left guard and he's going to have some utility there, the conversation gets very interesting between him, mm-hmm. Ben Bredesen, and Josh Azudu. As we've said, Dan, we want Josh Azudu to win that job. But if he doesn't, we're happy with Ben Bredesen, who's also a very young guard who has, I would say, a higher floor than someone like Josh Azudu. Tyree Phillips, I haven't grinded through his guard tape. When the Giants signed him, I was studying what he was able to do at right tackle as a swing tackle. So maybe I'll have to go back and see how he operates as a guard. But I love the idea of at least putting him into that position to see if he can realistically compete with Azudu and Bredesen. Because if you have three competent guys to compete for one position, and as I think Bobby Skinner, he said the right guard spot shouldn't be a certainty. And now if you throw Tyree Phillips into this scenario, he also has right guard snaps. Maybe Mark Lewinsky would be on his way out. It doesn't seem like we've heard anything or su- anything that's been suggested from the Giants that that would be the case, but at least gives you options. And that's what all of this is about right now. The Giants are trying to establish what options they have in training camp. So when the season rolls around, they're not going to panic. They'll have contingency plans and insurance policies against any of these players if they get hurt. Yeah, you nailed it. It's good to have a rotation for that exact reason. We also see Darren Beavers and Micah McFadden alternating continuously at inside backer next to Bobby O'Karake. Great to see Beavers already recovered enough to be playing with, you know, getting some first team reps there, Nick. Any thoughts on that battle? Now, that's what we all expected. I mean, there's no Gerard Davis, Darian Beavers, bigger physical. I don't even know who's more athletic. We, we sit here and we act as if it's definitely Micah McFadden, and maybe it is Micah McFadden. I think going forward, he's maybe a little bit quicker, but Darian Beavers isn't a stiff out there. And I know he used to be an edge. So I think that's one of the more interesting battles in training camp, but it's not a surprise that they're alternating because I don't even know who would have the upper hand at this moment. It's really just a snap by snap thing right now. Yeah. That's one of our truest battles in camp right now, that battle right there. And another one that's a true battle is, 
the slot position because, you know, Friday's practice was Darnay Holmes. Sunday's practice was Cordell Flott. Those guys are battling back and forth as well. What are your thoughts on that one? Well, we talked about this a lot. Darnay Holmes, $2.7 million the Giants can save if they release him. So the Giants are probably looking at this. Yeah, we like Darnay a lot, but if we could save $2.7 million, it gives us a lot more flexibility to sign people when injuries do happen. So I'm sure that they want their third round pick from the 2022 draft, Cordell Flott, to seize that opportunity. It's just, will Darnay Holmes take a pay cut? like Darius Slayton, because this is very similar to Darius Slayton. Both of them unlocked their incentives in their last deal to make more money than they would have otherwise if they did not unlock those incentives. But those incentives are going to hurt the Giants cap right now. So the Giants might approach him like they did Darius Slayton last year and say, hey, we want you on this team, but you need to take a pay cut. And if you're Darnay Holmes, do you take that pay cut? Because you might be talented enough to actually make another roster if he is released for the team. I think that's an interesting conversation to keep in the back of our minds as we go through training camp. Yeah, it's a great point, Nick, because we look at last season toward the end of that season, the Giants were really struggling from a depth standpoint on the defensive line, dealing with major injuries. Leonard Williams had a stinger that he was playing through, but it wasn't good. It was a bad situation. And obviously that the other injuries to the depth there, and they weren't able to kind of do what the Eagles did when the Eagles got injuries last year at defense tackle, which was essentially interior defensive line, which was essentially add players for free agency. Giants need that flexibility. And the Andrew Thomas contract as you look at it we just went over it but we didn't go into too many details it didn't free up a lot of cap space in the now that's one of the key things because he it, it, the way it was structured and because he was already signed this season it did it only freed up about a million of cap space for the now so they may need to find creative ways to create that cap space insurance room that you just talked about for injuries in season and if darnay holmes is one of those guys it wouldn't totally surprise me either without extending which we know joe shane isn't really the biggest fan of you look at the roster Darnay Holmes is the first name that your eyes go to and be like, he might be the expendable piece. And I don't even know if expendable is the right word because I still think Darnay Holmes yeah. has value. And I know a lot of giant fans don't like him. Look, Darnay Holmes, he's like five foot nine on a good day. He's, I think he's uber athletic. I think he's very good from the line of scrimmage to about the intermediate parts of the field. He just gets grabby down the field, maybe against bigger mismatches. You have Cordell Flop play, and now you give Wink Martindale more options on defense to, to organize his, his secondary. I don't want Darnay Holmes to not make the team, but if it's $2.7 million, that's a real conversation that the Giants are going to have. And if Darnay Holmes doesn't take the pay cut, he might be without a job, but I don't think it would last for long because somebody would scoop him up. Yeah, he would be scooped up fast. We got our first reports in Friday's practice of maybe a little bit of a hierarchy from a punt returning standpoint. And that, you know, should be important to us, Nick, after the Giants literally lost a game last year because of their punt, their special teams on punt returns. So we'll have to see what goes on with that. Some of the guys who are already returning punts are Eric Gray, the rookie running back. Darnay Holmes, we just talked about. Khalil Pimp Pimpleton, who seems highly unlikely to make the roster. Adoree Jackson, which you don't want to see, or at least we don't want to see on this podcast. Jaden Mickens, who I don't think will make the roster either. And Darius Slayton. So really, to me, the ones that stand out there are Holmes, Eric Gray, Darius Slayton, and Adoree Jackson. What are your thoughts on that? I don't want Banks. I don't want Jackson. I don't want any cornerback doing that that's going to be starting, okay? Eric Gray, that would be excellent because Eric Gray is going to make this team, and he's going to have a role as well. It's just, can Eric Gray be relied upon to do that? He did a little bit at Oklahoma. I think he muffed, I think, two punts, if I'm not mistaken. It wasn't something that I felt like it was an every game uh, part of his repertoire or part of his arsenal where he was the punt returner. But I would love for Eric Gray to seize that opportunity. I just don't want to see any starting cornerback out there, or really any starting player, unless it's maybe like a wide receiver who gets rotated in. But even then, do you want to see Darius Slayton out there? 
No, not necessarily. I don't even no. want to see like Paris Campbell out there. I don't care. Punt returns mean nothing to me, Nick. I, you know what I want from my kickoff from punt returns? Fair catch the ball. Don't fumble. Put me put my offense on the field. Honestly, and that's, because, and that's where Jameson Crowder comes in. Get nothing out of the kick return these days in the NFL. Okay, punt return you can get a little bit more occasionally, very rarely. How rarely do we see good punt returns at the NFL level? And is it worth it to get that to have an opportunity to get that one of every ten games if you're also fumbling two of every three games or whatever it is, two of every four games? No, it's not like. The Giants, everything they tried to do from a return standpoint in the punt game last year, the punt return game last year, was outweighed by the one game where they had two fumbles that cost them the game. So I'd rather not. And Eric Gray is, to me, the best option because, like you said, he's not a huge part of the offense. He's not. He is a depth piece. That's the only thing. If I don't want Campbell out there, I probably don't. I shouldn't want. Maybe I shouldn't want Eric Gray because both are in the same regard as depth pieces for injuries to the starters. And I do think Gray would play a big role if Saquon Barkley got hurt. So maybe I don't want it from that standpoint, but I still feel like out of the options we discussed, he's probably the best one. He is a rookie, though. That's my one thing. Right. He is a rookie, though, who doesn't have a ton of experience or success at the college level doing that. A little bit reserved there. I just don't think a Jaden Mickens or a Khalil Pimpleton are going to make this team, which then points you to Darnay Holmes and a Dory Jackson and Darius Slayton. I think his name was on the list. It's a battle. I think it's an important position. I, I don't think the Giants are in a place where they can allocate a, a roster spot solely to that. I think you have to at least have uh, some purpose at other parts of the roster. So that kind of rules out Mickens and Pimpleton with the Giants having right. as much depth at wide receiver, unless the Giants suffer injuries there. And Jamison Crowder is the name. I know he just returned to practice, I believe, along with Sterling Shepard. He wasn't on that list, but he's the one name where I'm like, I think he could have purpose on this offense operating in the slot because he is smart. I think he would be a good, just secure type of punt returner. Yeah, he'd be a good one if he can make the roster. That's the whole thing, and that comes into the numbers game. The receiver position is insanely interesting right now from a numbers standpoint. A few other things from practice, just things I'm noti noticing, Nick, different than last year. feels like the offense has the edge this year in the early going of practice. Someone had Jones and Friday's practice going 18 of 23 in the live passing drills. The offense has really moved the ball well. Jones had one ball, Nick, to Darius Slayton uh, along the right sideline where it felt like a, it felt like exactly what I was looking for, a whole shot where the safety was trying to come over but couldn't get there in time, and the ball stuck right on uh, Darius Slayton's outside shoulder, or, you know, maybe more middle middle of his chest. But even so, it was a great ball layered with nice nice velocity on it, and it was a heavy. But Jones, when he throws over the top, one thing I like about it, he throws it. <laughs> this is going to sound, if we clip this up, it's going to sound funny, but he throws a heavy ball. And it's like that Ryan Tannehill tall ball that I like because that ball comes up over the top and drops in with nice, you know, with nice trajectory, I feel like. And now on that throw to Slayton, it was, I thought it was a great ball. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Are you talking about the play where Darnay Holmes and Deontay Banks were inside and outside, respectively, of Darius Clayton? And the ball literally dropped into a bucket. That was beautiful accuracy. I don't know how Deontay Banks then knocked that ball away. And that kind of goes to one of our issues with Banks coming out of Maryland was I wish he did a better job finding the football when he is in tight coverage because he could be in tight coverage, but in the NFL, you could be right in the hip pocket of the receiver. If you don't locate the football, that receiver, Justin Jefferson's making that catch. It doesn't really matter. I wish he did a better job locating the football. That's just one play, but you're right with the accuracy of Daniel Jones and Darius Slayton's just tearing it up so far in camp. The offense in general, like you said, it's doing a really good job, but don't tell Jason Pinnock that because at the end of Sunday practice, he made that one-handed interception, which was pretty impressive. That was really cool. And you're right. I mean, look, that's a great ball. The ball placement was great. It's exactly where you want it. And Darius Slayton has had a, himself a really nice camp so far. And that doesn't surprise either of us. I know on this podcast, it may surprise some fans. Some other things from Sunday's practice that I thought stood out uh, that I want to get into here is John Michael Schmitz back at center with the first team. Tyree Phillips, I talked about it with the left guard for the first team. But we also had Cordell Flop back at nickel and Jason Pinnock moving into the starting safety spot. That was what we discussed um, earlier when you said Pinnock made that big play. Well, that was because he was working a little bit more with the ones on defense. They The Giants also got Brent Bredesen some right guard reps in Sunday's practice, which I thought was interesting. And then one thing I thought was that stood out to me, man. Trey Hawkins on that one-on-one route. I know it's just one route, Nick, and it was against Vincent Smith, who's obviously also very unlikely to make the Giants roster at receiver. But he looked really smooth on that route, Trey Hawkins. And you know how I feel about these six-rounders. Like, you got to prove yourself. But I think he's he's looked really good in coverage so far, Trey Hawkins, from the clips I've seen. He absolutely has. And it's it's Jeff Smith, who might actually make the roster just as oh, a special team. No, I called him Vincent Smith. That was the other Jets receiver, right? The other Jets Smith receiver. You're right, though. Trey Hawkins, to me, it's the patience. It's the patience. We talked about the one play, the interception against Bryce Ford Wheaton. Like That was just smart. He understood where he was on the field. He understood that Bryce Ford Wheaton did not have a lot of space if he was attempting to run a dig route, and he was going to be in the perfect position to react on the inside break. And he was. He came away with the interception. We broke that down. But if you just see some of these clips coming out, He's just really sticky in coverage. He's really instinctive. And a rookie day three pick, Dan, I would expect them to be not as sound with their technique or maybe just they overreact a little Mm -hmm. bit more in terms of this little subtle micro movement I saw. Now I'm going to overplay that. It just seems like he is so much more trusting of his technique and so much more patient than typical day three picks. And we know the kind of confidence that he has. You know how physical he is from his tape at Old Dominion. But you're right. You want to talk about a day three pick who is just rising right now in training camp, just the first couple practices going up against, you know, second team, third team wide receivers, mind you. It is Trey Hawkins. 
It really is. And I love that you brought up the patience that he has right now in his coverage, because you can even just juxtapose this against what we're seeing so far from Deontay Banks. And it's almost the complete opposite. Right. And that's fine. We expect that from these young players. Like, but for him to have that kind of patience already and that confidence is really what it comes down to. That confidence already is a really good sign. And and as he moves up through the depth chart, he's starting to work a little bit with the twos. Maybe he'll get some opportunities, the ones. Then we really get to see, does he have that confidence against Darren Waller and Darius Slayton and all the Giants, you know? go-to guys at receiver. But if you start to see it start to carry over there, that's what we talk about, you know, plenty of times this podcast throughout the years, the steady drumbeat. And that drumbeat is building right now for Trey Hawkins. And it's steady right now. It starts to get steadier. It starts to build louder and louder and louder as he moves up and gets those reps with the second and first team. I'll say this too about Trey Hawkins. I think he's excellent with subtly using his hands. Little DPI, but it's not Hmm. very flagrant. If you watch the Bryce Ford Wheaton play, once he stabbed, you could see him just kind of grab a little bit just to impede him. And then he lets go. And if you watch the Smith play as well, it was a double move where Smith ran over type of route. Hawkins just did a great job positioning himself between the quarterback and Smith while also just being right in the hip pocket. He stuck his hand out there. But then once Smith went into the pivot, you see Trey Hawkins kind of just grab the hip just ever so slightly, just to hold Smith there, but it wasn't enough to draw a flag. It's very subtle. Yep. And you could see Hawkins just be right in position to make that play and to harass Jeff Smith. And we know the physical nature, like we said before. So I think he's very savvy for a rookie, which you don't expect from a rookie from Old Dominion. Yeah, we talked about this before, but it's a different kind of pick than the Giants have made in the past under, you know, let's just use the Gettleman regime, for example. They take a late round corner. It's Corey Ballantyne. That guy doesn't have, it's not a traits based pick. Hawkins is a traits based pick. They believe that if they can get their coaching, it, 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 you never know. Sometimes these traits based players, the coaching just sticks early on with these guys. And then the sky is the limit if the coaching, if they take well to the coaching early, then you you have the traits already there. Now you just need to have the technique down, and sometimes it comes quick. And we'll see if that's the case with Trey Hawkins. It's po- very possible. On that play, because I'm re-watching it right now, like he's playing inside leverage. Jeff Smith, he releases to the outside. He makes contact. And when Jeff Smith goes into his initial double move fake before he breaks inside, you can see how Trey Hawkins just like stutters his feet, doesn't over-pursue to the outside move. He stays square, and then he just undercuts, similar to what he did against Bryce Ford Wheaton, makes contact again, and that's when Jeff Smith went into the pivot back to the outside. But that's just such a controlled movement where he is so calm. He is so poised. These are one-on-ones. What have we talked about with Deontay Banks? Not that we're making excuses. because I do believe this right. is a reality, but one-on-ones, it's not easy to be a defensive player in these one-on-ones when you're a defensive back. And you could see how patient, how poised, how calm he is when he is going up against a player like Jeff Smith. I want to see that now against Darius Slayton and all of these other wide receivers, but there is something to be said about that patience. Without a doubt, if we're going to use the you know, the fact of that these one on reps are hard for Deontay Banks because there's no safety help. They have two way goes, the receivers to again, you know, to, you know, protect Deontay Banks in a sense, but not, that's what we're trying to do, but just to give the reality situation because it's true. You also have to give even more credit to a player like Hawkins when it actually works out for the corner, right? And they have everything at their disadvantage like he has on that snap. And yet he still is able to make the play and he's still able to get in the hip pocket of the receiver and be right there sticky and covered. So I think it's definitely interesting and we've definitely have our eye on Hawkins over the next uh, you know, several practices. I want to end with this, Nick. We had another day where uh, on Sunday where the Giants offense really was cooking. Jones was 11 of 12 with the 11 on 11 drills, um, four catches each for Slayton and Waller, a long ball to Slayton. The only miss of those was when he tried to connect with Paris Campbell deep and he overthrew it, had one miss, but obviously had the interception at the end as well um, in a different drill to to Jason Pinnock. But 
What do you think? What do you think is the reason for why the offense is so much further ahead this year versus where they were last year? Is it literally as simple as, you know, extra year in the system? Or do you think there's other factors in it? I think hitting hasn't happened yet. So maybe we're kind of putting the cart before the horse with this theory that that we're generating. But I also think it is Daniel Jones being much more comfortable. Daniel Jones just got paid. He doesn't have that huge monkey on his back like he did last year. And it did seem like there was a lot more pressure last year early, early in camp. And I'm trying to remember if that was before pads went on or hitting was allowed, right? Because hitting is not even allowed right. yet. And when you think about the strength of the Giants defense, we we think there's going to be an upgrade with the coverage, but the strength comes from Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Kayvon Thibodeau. Is he, the pass rush is a strength. And a lot of these clips that we are seeing, they're either one-on-ones or they're seven-on-seven. Seven. There's a couple that are team periods that are like, oh, wow, that's really impressive. But you're attacking a rookie in Deontay Banks, and you're also, seems like, Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams they might even get there and then they just stop and then the throw yeah. happens, right? Like like the Jason Pinnock interception, that was excellent. The defense won that rep, but the defense yeah. won that rep so many different times <laughs> yeah. because Daniel Jones would have been dead on that play. He would have yeah. got hit. So I think it's more of a, just a, a talking point right now around Giants Twitter. Let's wait to see when hitting actually comes fair. and then we'll see what happens. I think that's fair because even in today's practice, I think Bobby Skinner noted like three of these completions we're talking about, they would have been clear sacks if it was an actual, you know, if they were allowed to sack the quarterback in these drills. So definitely we can take a step back, but I do think part of it is just a more comfortable. He's just more comfortable with it, with this offense and they have a lot more talent at receiver this year, regardless of what you thought about last year's receivers. There are yeah. more options and they're getting open on a more consistent basis. And I think that's the really exciting part. And All Darren right. Waller too. Darren Waller. Yes. Like that's if we're gonna actually also say something that substantiates that theory, Darren Waller's presence yeah. is such a huge difference and in more ways than one. More ways than one one. Yeah, there you go. And we have four catches today in Sunday's practice. He's open all the time, and he's getting the ball a lot as well. All right, that's all we have for today on the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Keep it locked and loaded. We have more coming. If you enjoy this show, please hit like. Please hit subscribe on the YouTube. And if you're listening on the podcast, please make sure you gave a five-star review. You have a set for auto-download. And if not, just download and delete, download and delete. That's going to help us grow as a podcast. And I know some of you have talked to me about doing more live shows. We are going to do more live streams. We've done a couple on YouTube so far. Be on the lookout. More will definitely be on the way uh, in, yeah. in the meantime, as well as in season as well.